listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. The Psalm 139, reading the verse number 17, of course, uh, don't miss the first verse. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And then verse 17, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred, I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Man's fall into sin has so impacted this world that our experiences in this world are dominated by sin. And so when you study through the Psalms and you read the psalmist praying out and through his experience, he prays much about the impact of sin. Prayers like, save me or deliver me reflect the fact that the sins of others endangered our well-being. The last time we saw prayers like cleanse me and keep me back from presumptuous sins and how those prayers reflect our own personal sin problems. And so we're in this series of studies on experiential praying. Uh, We're looking at prayers that have that common structure, a verb followed by the word me. And here in the last two verses, Psalm 139, there are three of these uh, prayers, search me, try me, and lead me. And we see here a prayer that reflects our sin problems in the light of the wickedness of others. And so leading on from last time, we thought about this matter of cleansing and holding back. I want to look at this somewhat further in the psalmist experience of sin as he prays before the Lord. You look at the context of the verses here from verse 17, we have the psalmists really reflecting upon the preciousness of God. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. And from that, there is then a movement aside as he considers the wickedness of men. Verse 19 and following, surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. He finds joy in the Lord, and then he seeks justice from the Lord. The psalmist loves the Lord, and he is grieved when he sees the surrounding rebellion. It's by grace that we come to love Christ, and we come to love the Christ of the cross. And as we love the Lord, so we are then grieved when we see the rebellion of others who speak against thee wickedly, verse number 20, and who take the Lord's name in vain. That name that we hold precious Remember, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. We, we put our confidence and trust in the Lord and in his name. And thus we hear others slandering and blaspheming the Lord that grieves our souls. 
And we find ourselves praying for God to bring justice down upon the wicked. We can certainly identify with this. Such moral decline in our day has led to the point that iniquity is no longer hidden. It is paraded and promoted before our eyes. No new sins, but now the sins that are old are very public and they're thrust into our face at all times. Those that love the Lord hate iniquity, and we have a righteous desire for judgment on all that dishonor the name of Christ. We don't pray these prayers against our personal enemies. We pray them through Christ for his enemies, either to be converted or to be judged in the purposes of God. As iniquity abounds, says our Savior, the love of many waxes cold. Hence, there is the need to understand this prayer and to pray it in our lives. As we feel righteous indignation, let us make sure that our response to that indignation is to, yes, to leave it with the Lord, but also to pray the prayers of verse 23 and 24. In light of the wickedness, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Yet search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. As he sees wickedness in others, he wants to make sure there is no wickedness in his own heart and soul. And so I believe it is an important principle to understand that when we survey wickedness around us, that we have within ourselves this particular desire, search me, O God, and know my heart. The word to search here is used in the historical books to search and spy out the land. So the spies go out and they search, they spy out the land, or perhaps they spy out a city like Jericho. It's used in that regard. But you turn back to the Psalm 44, and you'll see this word search being used in another text. Psalm 44 in the verse number 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. So there you get some expanded insight into this word to search. The psalmist is praying that the Lord would search out the secrets of his heart. That God who knows all things could get into the crevices of his own heart and see what's there. Now, undoubtedly, this is clearly not just a prayer that, the God, that God would know the psalmist. Verse 1 makes that clear, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. It's not a prayer that God would know what he already knows. It is a prayer that God would expose what's in the heart. It's a prayer for God to search out. In a similar sense, in Jeremiah chapter 17, we know the verses very well. Verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. And this I, the Lord, search the heart, and I try the reins. And the idea is that it is God who reveals and exposes the heart. He knows what's in our hearts already. But the psalmist is praying, Lord, show it to me. Show me my heart. Search it out. And I believe that is proven by the fact of the parallelisms in this verse 23, that search is then parallel to try. They're, they're parallel references. And this word to try means to test or to prove. And it's used over in Zechariah chapter 13 and the verse number 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. 
this refining sense. And so the psalmist is praying, search my heart and try my thoughts. Test me, prove me, reveal my genuineness and also burn away the dross. Burn away that which is not pure that I in turn would then be led in the way everlasting and that there would be no wicked way in me. And so I think the prayer is pretty self-explanatory. It is for God to probe and try in such a way that sin is unveiled, unveiled, sorry, and that the child of God is delivered from evil. The prayer, I think, is, is pretty self-explanatory. But when you think about that prayer and mull it over in your mind, this is a prayer that reveals so much about the thinking of a true believer. I want to show you five things that this prayer reveals about the thinking of such a believer. How can you get to pray this prayer? How does, how does a psalmist get to pray this prayer? Because there are certain things that are true. First of all, this prayer requires, first of all, an appreciation about the role of the heart. This prayer requires that the psalmist understands his humanity. And if we're going to pray this prayer, we must understand our humanity. We've got to understand where our actions come from. Oh, so much psychological thought going into this sort of matter. Why do, why do young people behave as they behave? Is it upbringing? Is it genetics? What causes people to perform the actions that they perform? Now, the Bible is very clear. Every action proceeds out of the heart. And the heart of man is the core out of which actions come. We won't pray this prayer if we think our actions are reflex or dictated by our circumstances. The psalmist understands that heart holiness is required. That if he's going to be right with God, it's got to start inside. If he's going to walk uprightly with God, it's going to start with God working in his soul. True holiness is inside out. God works in us, and we work out of that internal work. The heart is the center of actions, if you like, the control center of our humanity. We speak about the soul, the mind that discerns the Word of God, the will that chooses righteousness, and the emotions that love righteousness and hate wickedness. The heart, a right heart, a right heart. No use praying for change unless you pray for the heart. One of the challenges that people face in the modern age is dealing with addictions. How do we, how do we change our addictions? How do we change our behaviors? And so there's so many things that are placed upon people, external things. Try this and try that, but ultimately change comes from the heart. And what's true for the addict is true for the child of God. We, we should not simply pursue reformation of character or of conduct unless we say, Lord, change my heart. It's true for the saved. It's true for the backslider. Lord, change their hearts. Get to their heart. I think of what we saw on the Sabbath evening with the, the Lord's insight into words. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. The heart. Hence we're told by the wise man, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
Or as Solomon says, my son, give me thine heart. That's what the desire of Christ is for us tonight. My son, give me thine heart. Don't pray this prayer without realizing what you're praying for. You're praying for a deep-seated internal revolution of your mind and your will and your emotions. For God to deal with your heart. You've got to appreciate that. And the second thing then that is required in such a prayer is that the believer's aim be comprehensive holiness. Yeah, there's an appreciation about the heart, but here there is the aim of holiness. Search me. This has the sense of intense examination, intense scrutiny. That's the idea of the psalmist praying, Lord, I open my heart to you. There will be no area unseen and no part of each area untouched. My entire humanity, every hour of my day, every part of those hours, every action, every relationship, every word, every thought, everything, search it out. Scrutinize me intensely. Now that is, that is a serious prayer to pray. To understand the import of that, because truth be told, in so many believers, there are areas of their lives that they want God not to touch. And they can't pray this prayer. Because ultimately, when they ask for God to bless them, there are barriers and there are obstacles, there are things in their lives that they're not prepared to let God get a touch off. So he's saying, search me intensely. Because he understands that the will of God is comprehensive holiness. It's not that we get to the point that we, oh, we're getting to 50%, we're going to pass, as it were. We understand that when it comes to our acceptance with God, the only standard is 100%. That's our hope in Christ. Our justification is in Christ and in Christ alone. But the standard does not slip in terms of sanctification. God expects perfection and sanctification. Now, we'll see in a minute or two, we understand that is not possible. But the standard is still there. We're not to aim for a lower standard than perfection. And when we fail to reach that, we fall upon our knees and we thank God for our Savior. So there is a sense of searching, scrutiny. There's also the sense of try me. That implies an intolerance of any sin. Try me. Prove me. If required, place me in the refiner's fire that the dross will be burned away because I want to be pure gold unto God. That's the sense of this prayer. This is a prayer that we should not pray lightly. He's saying, Lord, work in me in such a way that even those small sins, as I might think in my mind, even those small sins are exposed and burned away. Paul prays, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In sanctification, he's praying for this thorough work. If you're going to pray this prayer, you're going to appreciate the role of the heart, and you're going to aim at comprehensive holiness. 
Because in the third place, as you pray this prayer, you're going to be aware of the danger that lurks within. See if there be any wicked way in me. I think it is right for the child of God to have a holy suspicion of their hearts. It's hard to, it's hard to work all this out in our Christian experience. I don't want any believer to doubt the power of God's work in regeneration. We are not dead in sin anymore. We're alive in Christ Jesus. We're no longer bad. We're made good by Christ and by the Spirit of God. In a real sense, Jeremiah 17.9 is not true for the believer. The believer's heart is not deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They have a new heart, a good heart, a heart given by the Lord. We should never lose sight of that fact. And yet, well, of course, when you get to the likes of Romans chapter 7 or 1 John, uh, you see that both these writers they make it clear that sin remains. If we say we've no sin, we deceive ourselves. We understand the battle within the child of God, and therefore there is, there is a right place for a holy suspicion of our hearts to wake up in the morning and understand that we do not know what sin may be lurking in the depths of our souls. And what sin, given the right circumstances, may be triggered into action in life. See if there be any wicked way in me. Be aware of the potential that sin may lurk. Remember what happened to David. What a sobering lesson David is. What mighty acts of valor. How many Psalms had he written before Bathsheba? What a walk with God. What uprightness. What blessing he enjoyed. And if any man thinketh he standeth, let him take heed lest he fall. And even the Old Testament were warned in Deuteronomy 11, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. Christ himself warns us as the last days approach, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. So the day come upon you unawares. He's warning them about being duped by the world. And that's a danger for the child of God that I want to make sure there's no wicked way in me and awareness of the danger that lurks within. It's not without reason that Christ tells us all, watch and pray. Watch and pray, take heed and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Be aware of the potential that sin may lurk. And be aware of the proneness to wonder. Lead me in the way everlasting. We, we, we sing that lovely hymn, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. And in that hymn, there is that sense of the of the hymn writer's awareness of his own hearts. Fourthly, to pray this prayer, we must be accepting of the Lord's goodness in our lives. This is a prayer that demonstrates tremendous submission to God. Submission to the Lord's working in our lives. Search me, O God. Try me. How is this prayer actually answered? In what way does God search our hearts and try our thoughts? Well, he does so, of course, under the word. 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We see the mirror of the word. We see ourselves in the word. And the word is that searchlight that goes into the depths of our souls and our sin is revealed. He used his word. Particularly, he used the public ministry of the word. Paul charges Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The reproof and rebuke of the word that exposes our sins. That's how God searches our hearts and tries our thoughts. He does so under the care of a, a godly brother or sister. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Galatians 6, 1. These are the means that God uses to search our hearts. It's not that we hear some voice in our heads. God does this in providence and in context with the fellowship of the church and with the care of the brethren. This is how God deals with our hearts. And so really we're, we're praying for God to use his ordinary means of grace to expose our sin and to keep us in the way of righteousness. But we're also praying for God to search us under testing providences. Try me. I've said, all right, this has a sense of the refiner's fire. It's, a, it's even a prayer for affliction. It's a prayer for affliction, if affliction be necessary. It's not a desire for in and of itself. I've already made the point that there are, there are other ways in which God tries our hearts. It's not only in the furnace of affliction. But the prayer submits to God's will. And if you like, it says to God, if I need to go through this, that I would have my sin exposed, then so be it. What submission there is to God's. What an acceptance of God's goodness in our lives. Holiness is more important than happiness, the child of God. Correction is more important than comfort. If the Lord tries me, if he proves me and examines me, then I'll be done for my good out of his grace. He loves me. He's kind towards me. He's tender towards me. And he's working in my soul. Conform me to the likeness of Christ Jesus. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 13, 15. Psalm 119, 71. That is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. If you're going to pray this prayer, you must trust in the answer that God will provide for this prayer. You've got to leave your life before God. This is the life of submission and sacrifice, accepting, Lord, you know what's best for my life. I might choose this path, but Lord, if you choose this path, this is the right path for me. What submission there is in this prayer. It's a tremendously challenging prayer. So there is an appreciation of the role of the heart. There is this aim of comprehensive holiness. There's an awareness of the danger that lurks within there's an acceptance of the Lord's goodness in our lives. And finally, there is an anticipation of the glory that awaits. Lead me in the way everlasting. We pray this prayer because we know our future. There's no other reason to pray this prayer other than a desire 
to be proven that your faith is tried, First Peter, it's brought forth like gold. And we saw in James chapter 1, the trying of our faith, that it has that perfect work, it matures us. The believer knows that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Holiness that is the evidence of a changed life. Holiness that is the evidence of our justification. But holiness that is the desire of the believer. You ever think of this? We want to be in the way everlasting. We want to go to a place of purity and righteousness. We look for the new heavens and the earth where unrighteousness dwells. If that is our anticipation, that's our desire, then we will hate every unrighteousness in our lives and in others as we anticipate the future. It doesn't make any sense for a believer to desire eternal righteousness and be content with unrighteousness in this world. That makes no sense. And so we pray this prayer because we anticipate what it is to be in the presence of Christ and the joy and the delight of seeing his face and being made like him. And those who have such a hope, they purify themselves. And part of that purifying work is to pray a prayer like this, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, as, as Peter reflects upon that new heavens and new earth, he says this, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Oh, for that to happen, you need God to search your heart. I need God to search my heart. Never be content. Never be content with living a life that is less than God's will. You've been saved. You've been saved to live a joyful, victorious Christian life. You've been saved to be free from sin. Do not spend your days rolling about, if you like, back to the prodigal, rolling about in the pig pen of this world when there is freedom and joy and a life of righteousness in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for us as the people of God. Christ's blood was shed to secure these things that we indeed will be righteous in the presence of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.